0: When you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A N G I.com. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco move. Fewer words, less paper. No, <laughs> it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing.
1: Hey guys, welcome back to Thick and Thin with me, Katie Bellotti. If you guys came to my podcast in search of a story, if you wanted something to take your mind off of whatever the heck is going on in your life and wanted something juicy, you came to the right episode. This one is indeed pretty juicy. Like, I think you guys maybe thought I was done talking about the French monarchy of the 1700s for a little while, but you're wrong. (laughs) But I have to say this episode, this story that I dug up, I don't even know how I found this. I was on Reddit somewhere. I like fall into these holes on Reddit. And while I was deep in a hole, I found this story and I'm like, how on earth have I never heard this before? How did none of you guys send this to me? Because it is incredible and just so unbelievably interesting. And I don't want to spoil it before getting into the meat of it, but it's a very good story if you're looking for something to kind of take your mind off things, off of your life. I feel like that is the reason why we like entertainment, like books, movies, podcasts, anything, because for a moment there, it takes our minds off of whatever is going on in our lives. And I have to say last week was kind of a struggle for me. I was really just randomly sad for no reason at all. I think it's like the weather is affecting me. We've had a lot of overcast days recently. I am so easily affected by the weather and I don't know if something is in retrograde or whatever, but had kind of a sad week last week. And I have to say the one thing that really got me out of that like dark feeling was a new book that I started. It's called Malibu Rising. I believe it's the same author as Daisy Jones and The Six and Evelyn Hugo, whatever that one's called. I've read so many books in the past few years, but I believe it's the same author. It's a very good book so far. Highly recommend if you guys have seen this all over social media. It's for a reason because it's a very good book. But I started reading this book. I've been savoring it, reading like a few chapters a night, like really limiting myself to a few chapters because I tend to go crazy and finish a whole book in a day. And it just like isn't satisfying. I mean, I guess it still is satisfying to like finish a book at any rate, but there's just something to be said about savoring a book and making it last longer because then you start thinking about it, like thinking about the plot, thinking about the characters in like unlikely circumstances. Like when you're at the gym, I was like doing push presses, aka putting a weight over my head this morning, thinking about the plot of this book. So anyway, write it down in your notes, guys. Check out Malibu Rising, not sponsored in any way. I really just love this book. Um, but my point here is entertainment can really, or just stories in general that aren't our stories. It's remarkable how these things can really take you out of dark times and dark places. I wasn't going to share this, but I guess part of the reason why I was kind of in a funk last week was because I went on a second date that really made me feel what's the opposite of special, <laughs> like disposable not important. I felt very, yeah, I just, I felt very unimportant. Is that a word? I think so. Um, Which is never how you should feel when you are, first of all, starting out dating. Like if you're going on like, this is the second date and you already feel unimportant and overlooked and not special, there is something wrong. And so I got myself out of that situation as quick as I could, but it definitely affected me the rest of the week. Not to mention I was getting some like random hate messages on Instagram. It was a lot of stuff like one after another and I really needed something to pull me out of that. And so I stumbled across a really lovely story, Malibu Rising, and I'm also watching some really awesome TV right now too. Just like a bunch of little entertainment nuggets that are really helping me through. So I thought that I would contribute to the pile of entertainment nuggets that already exist, but this one I feel like it needs to have some dust shaken off of it because it's definitely, it's a true story. But I feel like this needs to be discovered by someone who makes TV shows and movies and they need to turn this into a blockbuster hit because this story is one of those good ones that I am just so like, I got so excited to sit down and record this for you guys. And I know I'm rambling now, so I should probably just get into it, right? So our story today is a true story. This actually happened. But if you didn't know that this was a true story, you would think that It was cooked up by the writers of Gossip Girl or something because it is that drama. But our story is set in the 1700s, nowhere near New York City. We're going to France today. And our story involves a royal catfish, not of the fish variety, but of the con woman, sketchy, deceiving variety and how she managed to steal $15 million worth of diamonds right from under French royalty's nose. The year is 1784. It's a steamy August evening in the gardens of Versailles, located just 13 miles southwest of Paris. The gardens sit just outside of a massive palace where the royals, tucked inside, have settled into their quarters for a good night's sleep. Down in the gardens below, the smell of flowers and fresh greenery drift through the air. All is quiet apart from the sound of water, gushing from one of its 11 fountains. It's completely dark, apart from the moon and a blanket of stars that cast light into the garden onto two lovers meeting in secret. A man and a woman are standing close to one another in darkness. It's a pretty romantic scene, if you think about it, apart from the fact that one of the lovers isn't really who she says she is. Let's rewind for a moment to some events that unfolded in the exact same palace just a little over a decade prior. So we're going back to 1772 and Louis XV, a.k.a. the King of France for 59 years, basically his whole life, like I think he got the crown when he turned five or something. So Louis XV decided in 1772 to make his mistress, Madame du Barry, a special gift to express his love for her. After all, he was aging, in poor health, and likely needed something to keep that spark alive, you know? So to bring his vision to life, he requested that Parisian jewelers Charles Bomer and Paul Bassange create a diamond necklace. But not just any diamond necklace. He wanted the best, most expensive diamond necklace in the world. He wanted the best of the best for his mistress. So he signed off on the jeweler's elaborate design, which cost the equivalent of what would equal $15 million today. So he spared no expense for this necklace. And if you look up photos of the necklace online, it actually looks like three different style diamond necklaces kind of just like stacked on top of each other. Like, He saw three different designs and was like, oh, just put them all together because they don't really look like they go together, but they do, it's really interesting. Like the top of this thing, I'm looking at a photo right now, it has like 17 dime-sized, like rocks of diamonds just stacked, like lined up on the top. And then they give way to like larger teardrop shaped diamonds leading into long dangles of about like 100, a cluster of like 100 smaller diamonds dripping down, like seven of those. Fastened to the person's neck with a light blue ribbon. So essentially, just a cluster of diamonds like everywhere with this blue ribbon that ties it on. Like, I'm assuming this person that wears said necklace would feel like 20 pounds heavier because of how many diamonds would be on their chest. But I guess that was the whole point. Like, look at me, right?
0: Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE.
1: Anyway, it certainly looks like $15 million to me. So 15 million. Imagine, okay, imagine wearing that around your neck and like walking out of the house in that. Like I feel like this woman would never be able to leave the house because I even get kind of nervous thinking about my future wearing an engagement ring like with a diamond on the subway, like the New York subway Like, I feel like I would have to leave mine at home because I get nervous about wearing that out. But imagine a $15 million liability around your neck. Anyway, save for special occasions, I'm sure. So a necklace this grand in that time would take the jewelers about several years, not to mention a stupid amount of money to get their hands on an appropriate set of diamonds and put it all together get it perfect for royalty. Like it took years for this to come to fruition. And because it took years, by the time that the necklace was complete, Louis XV had died. He died of smallpox about two years into the project. So to make matters worse for the fate of the necklace, because Louis XV certainly wasn't going to be able to purchase it now because he is dead, Louis XV's grandson and successor, so Louis XVI, banished the mistress, Madame du Barry, from court. So she couldn't buy it either. So this necklace was just sitting there with no one to buy it. The jewelers were in a bit of a pickle because they had a $15 million necklace with no buyer. So they had a little sliver of hope though, considering the new queen, our girl, Marie Antoinette, if you recall from one of my previous episodes, like I think it was like four episodes ago on cake, we did a whole deep dive on Marie Antoinette. As we know, Marie Antoinette was a big spender. She was over the top with her fashion and accessory purchases. So the jewelers were like, amazing. Maybe Marie would, you know, fork over $15 and purchase this necklace from us. But they struck out with Marie. It turns out that Marie and the mistress that King Louis XV had commissioned the necklace for were kind of enemies. Like, they were not friends. They but heads they were not on good terms. So obviously, Marie would not be caught dead wearing a necklace that had been literally designed for a woman that she hated. Like it just makes sense. And this was one of the reasons apparently why she refused the necklace, but Marie was also enduring quite a lot of criticism of her lavish lifestyle at this time, as we know from the episode her subjects were growing restless and angry with the monarchy, like there was this huge divide, and so Marie was trying to appear more one of the people, you know, although it was pretty impossible considering the fact that she loved her life of luxury and her lavish lifestyle. We know that she literally created a mini village on the palace property and like pretended to be a peasant with her friends. Like it was like a joke for her. So yeah, but the girl tried. Okay. I guess she tried maybe, So anyway, as we know, French society during the 1700s was super broken. Life was literally it was like night and day for the monarchy versus the peasant class. And there was basically no hope of social mobility. So climbing the ladder for those at the bottom, it was like this endless cycle of being hungry and impoverished, basically, if you weren't a royal or high class. So that was another reason that Marie just couldn't justify it, mostly because she didn't want people to think that she was throwing $15 million towards this necklace when peasants couldn't buy bread because she was already getting so much crap for it. Regardless of the reason, Marie just said no. And the jewelers were sweating once again because they had this $15 million necklace with no buyer that had taken years to make. And they're going to be plunged into debt if they can't sell this. So they're freaking out. So they circled back and asked Marie once again, after the birth of her son, Louis Joseph. And again, she refused. She's like, guys, come on. I just had a kid and you're trying to like butter me up. No way. But the jewelers were not the only ones trying to get an in with the queen. There was another woman trying to rub elbows with Marie, but she had different motivations. Her name is Jeanne de la Motte, and this woman is quite something. She was described as having pure white skin, chestnut brown hair, clear brown eyes, and a, quote, winning smile. A beauty and a total con artist. Jeanne was born in 1756. She was the daughter of a drunken man with loose royal ties. Her mother was one of his family's housemaids who eventually skipped town after having Jeanne and her siblings. So she was kind of forced to raise her siblings because she you know, had this drunk dad who didn't provide for her. And so her and her siblings had to essentially beg for food on the street. And you might be wondering, okay, well, they have these loose royal ties. They have a bit of royal blood. Why are they begging on the street? So put simply, her dad kind of messed things up for the family. His name was Jacques, and he was a direct male-line descendant of French royalty. So to kind of put things into perspective, he was the grandson of King Henry II and King Henry's mistress. So... He, you know, had kind of illegitimate blood, but he did have that male line of like he direct male line descendant, like the male of the family had passed down the blood, essentially. So he had a little hint of royal blood. That being said, the kids then did as well. But he was a drunk. He liked living amongst the peasants. He wasn't really uh, determined to get into the castle. So there are some conflicting accounts online about how Jean and her siblings were essentially rescued from poverty. But somehow they were. They were rescued. They were put into school. They were recognized as being slightly royal and given some pension. And so this gave the kids hope of having a, a bit of a better life. So that brings us to June of 1780 when Jeanne was 24. So at 24, she married this man named Nicholas Marc-Antoine de la Motte. And both husband and wife, upon getting married, assumed the title Comte and Comtesse. AKA count and countess in French, but they did so without the blessing of the queen, which meant that their titles were just not at all legit. It's almost like they wanted to be taken more seriously than they deserve to be taken. You know, they like really wanted to be famous or whatever. So at the time of the wedding, Jean was eight months pregnant and she gave birth to twins just a month after the wedding. So obviously this drew a lot of scrutiny because that wasn't the way to do things. Back then. But sadly, the babies didn't live more than a few days. They passed away after just a few days, which is very sad. So at this point, Jean had been through a lot. She had this early life of poverty. She married this guy because she was pregnant, basically. She lost her baby. She was having financial troubles with said husband, who wasn't really able to provide her that life of luxury that she really wanted. She didn't even really love this said husband. And this is enough to drive any person a bit mad. And that's kind of what happened with Jean she became obsessed she wanted desperately to turn her situation around and live that life that she felt she deserved given her hint of slightly royal blood she really drew close to that fact she wanted to she wanted to to rise and like i said it was very tough to rise up the ladder without support from the queen or from someone royal. So, Jeanne was receiving a bit of money from the royals every once in a while. I said earlier they were getting a pension for their royal blood. I don't really know how that worked, but they were getting a bit of money, but Jeanne felt that she deserved more. And so she boldly decided to approach Queen Marie Antoinette herself. She made many visits to Versailles hoping that she would catch Marie's eye, get her attention. Apparently, she even like would fake fainting she would like faint in front of people to get attention she really wanted the royals to take her seriously and at that time any ordinary citizen from you know anywhere could come to the palace like could hang out in the garden if they were dressed in quote suitable attire so anyone who was dressed the part could enter the palace and its gardens and observe the royal family and their natural habitat, which feels like such a security risk. Like imagine if anybody could just like waltz on in, I'm thinking of like a U.S. perspective, like waltz on into the, the White House and just like hang out if they're nicely dressed. Like, <laughs> like, I guess people go on tours there, but like just imagine, you know, any day of the week just waltzing on in and hanging out with like the top of the country at the time, you know? It's just a little bit bonkers. So at the time, Jean figured that Marie would find sympathy, would be just super sympathetic towards her and her situation, given the fact that they were both women, they both lost children. Like she thought that Marie and her would be great friends and Marie would essentially be like, yes, come on into the palace and become one of us. But she was unable to get Marie's attention. I don't think she thought Marie even knew who she was or so she thought. Marie Antoinette had actually been tipped off. She had been told about Jean's questionable lifestyle and refused to meet her. I'm assuming she probably caught wind that Jean was using a fake title and was like, get this girl out of here. She's a poser. But like I said, Jean was determined determined to turn her life around. She thought she was destined for better things. She was over her loveless marriage and lack of riches. So Jean and her husband, although they lived together, they like continued to live together their whole lives, um, they weren't really like living together, if that makes sense. So Jean took another lover. Her husband had another lover as well. They were kind of just like buddies and like had other lovers just like in the house. Very interesting situation and like definitely not typical for the time, I don't feel. Um, But anyway, so Jean's lover, his name was Armand. And get this, so Armand was actually one of her husband's fellow officers in the military. So I'm assuming that's how they met. I don't know. Anyway, I don't know how that, like, situation was, if the husband was at all bitter, but it seemed like they were just, like, one big happy family. Like, the husband and his prostitute mistress, Jean and Armand, all was well. So, around 1783, Jean took on yet another lover. And this one's name was Cardinal Prince Louis de Rohan. And the fair-skinned, clear-eyed Jean became his mistress, which was probably very exciting for her because he had some serious rank, but she was still linked to Armand and was still living with her husband, Nicholas. So talk about juggling men. But Prince Rohan confided in John, telling her that he was desperate for the queen's approval in court. And apparently, so Marie didn't like Rohan because he was prone to spreading gossip in the castle and outside the castle, for that matter. When she was still, like, lower in rank, he kind of tried to ruin her marriage that was pending and, like, there was a lot of drama. So overall, she did not like Rohan and made it very obvious. So... In this, Jean definitely had some ulterior motives because she too wanted to get the attention of Marie, as we know. So she clearly knew about Rohan's proximity to the queen and wished to use it to her advantage. She needed to win. Like I said, she was very determined to raise her situation. So Jean convinced the extremely wealthy Rohan that the queen was her best friend, but they kept their friendship a secret because of Jean's lower station. So she successfully bamboozled Rohan into thinking that she was just secretly BFFs with Marie, which I can't believe he believed. She assured him that she could arrange for Rohan to get back into the Queen's good graces because after all, they were BFFs, right? So this is where the catfishing officially begins. So Jean told Rohan to write letters to the Queen and promised that she would hand deliver them. To Marie herself. After all, they were best friends. But instead of delivering Rohan's letters to the queen, obviously, she answered them back herself and started this whole little plot. Well, she actually didn't answer them herself. She got her friend to write them in like believable script that like looked like Marie's handwriting, I guess. While Jean kind of pulled the string, she said you know, told this person what to write. So before long, Jean got Gullible Rohan wrapped right around her finger so tightly through the letters, which started out friendly and then turned a bit flirty that she got him to give her enough money to live on herself and even buy herself a house. Like, Jean literally convinced Rohan to send Marie money, which is so weird to me. Like, he, this guy must have been so freaking gullible, like, would do anything to get Marie to like him. Um, so she suspected that Rohan would eventually you know, catch on to the trick soon, so she came up with this elaborate plan to have Marie and Rohan speak in person. Except the woman would look and sound like the queen, but would be someone else entirely. So, like I said earlier, Jean wasn't the only one in her marriage with another lover. Her husband, Nicholas, had this mistress that just so happened to look enough like Marie to pass for her in dark lighting. So, his mistress was actually a prostitute that essentially just resembled Marie. So, Jean dressed her up in believable attire and staged a steamy garden moment, like we said in the very beginning of the episode, for Rohan and the Queen. And he totally bought it. Totally bought it. So after a while, Rohan was convinced that not only was Marie not mad at him anymore, but she was actually in love with him. And he became convinced that he was also in love with her. So then while Sean was like on this cloud nine of, you know, essentially this plan going off without a hitch, she decided to take things a step further. She heard through the grapevine about this $15 million diamond necklace fit for a queen. So naturally she decided that she had to have it. So she cooked up this elaborate plan with the help of her husband, Nicholas, and her lover, Armand. They were kind of like a little team. She set out to deceive her other lover, Rohan, even further. So Jean, posing as Marie still in the letters convinced Rohan that the queen after years and years of refusing as we know finally wanted to buy the great grand fabulous diamond necklace for herself but given her political status and everything that was going on you know with the peasants and all she couldn't purchase it on her own so he should negotiate the purchase and kind of be the guarantor and like buy it for her like I don't know he was like on the deed or something which he of course decided to do out of devotion and love and he was finally in the place where he wanted to be like in the queen's good graces after years of not being there so he essentially got the necklace from the jewelers who were thrilled mind you because they're finally getting this thing off their hands and he promised that the queen would pay them upon receiving it like he would get the necklace to the queen and the queen would pay the jewelers eventually and like they were satisfied with that. So Rohan basically handed the necklace over to Jean for delivery to her BFF, the queen, because she had promised she would get the necklace to her in one piece, of course. And Jean was trustworthy because Rohan was sleeping with her. And here's where things get a little bit murky in the research because I'm not quite sure. I found conflicting accounts of the payment plan details. So whether Rohan was responsible for paying, or Marie was responsible for paying, or like what the deal was. But basically, the important takeaway here is the jewelers were not receiving their money on time. They didn't get the money they were promised. And for a $15 million necklace, like they were obviously expecting some serious cash that they were not getting. So they grew very restless. They were frustrated by this, understandably. So at some point they reach out to the queen directly because they were kind of waiting to see her wear it in public or something. Because obviously she would like show off this grand of a necklace and they were kind of waiting for their moment to be like, we made that right. Like take credit for it. And she never wore it. So they were like, okay well, what is she waiting for? Or like, did she even get it? So they reached out to her. And she was frustrated because like, come on, she's like, guys, like you already reached out to me twice about this necklace. I don't want this darn necklace. So she was like a little bit confused and mostly just angry considering how she had literally told them she didn't want the necklace. Right. So she didn't also have the necklace. And they were like, yes, you do. We gave it to so and so. And she's like, I do not have this necklace. So the necklace was never seen again. It was sold in Paris and England by Jean's husband, Nicholas, and broken into many pieces, sold diamond by diamond or in smaller parts. So it's very much a mystery today where all of its pieces are. It's actually kind of interesting because there's some women probably walking around with bits of the diamonds from this necklace in their engagement rings and in, you know, who knows what else. It's kind of interesting to wonder where they came from. Anyway, so Jean and her men, like her little funny family of her husband that she was friends with, but her guy Armand that she was sleeping with and then like her husband's mistress, whatever. Their little like weird family momentarily became very rich because of the sale of these diamonds. But their escape plan, like or what happens if they get caught, wasn't at all sound. It doesn't even seem like they expected that they might get caught. Like, how could they not expect? They were so like narcissistic. They thought they would just like fully get away with it. I don't know. So they were found out pretty quickly once Rohan was arrested and started talking and they were immediately put on trial for their crimes once he started spewing the dirty details. So Rohan, Jean, Jean's friend who had forged the letters, I believe Nicholas's mistress and a handful of others um, involved in the scheme were all arrested. All the while, Nicholas was hiding out in London where he remained for the rest of his life, I believe, totally evading capture. So I assume he just got, like, super rich while the women in his life were being sentenced to life in prison, which is pretty messed up, but I guess what's the alternative? Like, what would he have done, I guess? Anyway, so the case sent shockwaves through France. The queen was super unpopular by this time, as the monarchy was literally hanging on by a thread, with peasants storming the palace almost daily and although there were boatloads of evidence to support the fact that it wasn't Marie's fault that like clearly this con artist woman Jean was to blame for the the disappearance of the necklace and everything, like the French public still believed somehow that Marie had actually ordered the necklace herself as part of this like evil plot to destroy Rohan the cardinal that the letters were not forged, but they were just further proof of Marie's promiscuous ways. So the trial left Marie's already damaged reputation even further damaged, which, as we know, led to her eventual beheading. So Rohan, unsurprisingly, was freed. The public was like, it's not his fault. Clearly, Rohan was just caught up in the the crimes of these women, blah, blah, blah. It's the women's fault, etc. I mean, I don't feel like he deserved to go to jail, but he definitely was just a bad apple. Like, I wonder how he died. I actually didn't look into his death. But um, anyway, he got off the hook because he was just a gullible gossiper, I guess. But Jean and the forger were convicted. So Jean was sentenced to be whipped, branded with the letter V for the French word thief on each shoulder and imprisoned for life for her crimes. But somehow, like the little con artist she is, she managed to slip off to London, getting out of jail after only a year by dressing like a boy and escaping, likely with the help of some guards. So once Jeanne got to London, she did what any person that was bitter and defeated would do. She published a tell-all memoir, <laughs> putting Marie Antoinette on blast, blaming her for the whole diamond affair. She literally like I tried reading this thing. It was like very old English, but or like French translated from French into old English. And it's like literally putting this this lady on blast like Marie is on blast in this thing. So sounds like quite a bit of jealousy existed here. Jean clearly felt that she was destined for a life like Marie's and she was just given the short end of the stick. But the two women's fates ended up being nearly identical in the end. Jean died in 1791 after an accidental fall from a window as she attempted to escape debt collectors, although some will say that it was a murder, actually. And Marie died just two years later after Jean. Her head was on a chopping block in front of a crowd of cheering subjects who were thrilled to see her dead, as we know. So talk about a diamond encrusted affair or slew of affairs. A lot went on here. A lot of lovers, a lot of scandal. Like, I feel like this should be a movie on Netflix if it isn't already. But what a story. The first or one of the first documented catfishes in history. And like, what a catfish it was. Imagine being Rohan and having to stand on trial in front of like all of these people and be like, oh my God, I thought the queen loved me. Like I thought that the queen and I were sending like letters to each other. Also side note, this guy, Rohan, he was a cardinal, like a member of the church. So the fact that he was sending letters to the queen who was married, like that is adultery, right? Or like something bad. Why did he get off the hook so easily? I mean, obviously he was a man and times were different, but like Isn't that kind of crazy that Rohan like got off the hook so easily? Like he was a member of the church and was sending like letters that were dripping with an affair. Anyway, that was like a random thought I just had pop in my head. But imagine having to stand in front of everybody and be like, oh, yeah, I thought the queen loved me. She doesn't love me. This random woman, Jean, who I was also sleeping with, was pretending to be this other woman that I wanted to sleep with. Like how stupid must he have felt? um deserved though because clearly we know once a snake always a snake he was clearly a gossiper from the start and yeah but what a tale i'm trying to think of who i would cast if i was to cast this as a show or a movie who i would put in each role and i can't really think of it right now but i feel like i mean for the sake of bringing gossip girl back in here i feel like georgina sparks is definitely jean and maybe marian twin out would be like blake lively or something because she was blonde or she like had this like light colored hair i guess um i don't know i'm wondering who rohan would be i'm picturing like a short little shrimpy guy <laughs> nothing against short guys but i just picture him as being shrimpy for some reason anyway so uh that is my story guys hope you all enjoyed this episode of the pod and this tale of one of the first catfishes in history and the affair of the diamond necklace. And yeah, I guess if you if you have a diamond on your hand right now, look down at it and wonder: hmm, has this come from a an elaborate necklace fit for a queen? $15 million. I mean, honestly, okay, before I end though, the people that I feel most bad for in this story are the jewelers. <laughs> like, someone got fired. Anyway, so that is it, guys. I will talk to you guys all next Thursday with another story from history. I love blending my past and present, as you know, so I'm hoping to bring some more present into it next week. But I will talk to you guys all next Thursday. Bye.